Whoa, we're halfway there. Whoa, Grover Cleveland. Down in the cornfield, hear the mournful sound. All the Democrats are weeping. Grover's in the cocoa ground. Welcome to episode 22 and 24 of the Presequential Podcast. Season 2, sponsored by Greek's Pizzeria. Mm. Greekspizzeria.com. It's our taste. It is our taste. It's our taste. Mm. I'm your host, Ryan Allward, joined by Blaine Zimmerman and our producer and vice presidential expert, Russell P. Slivka. His middle name's Ian. We've talked about it. It's Russ Ian. Mm. That's right. Russ Ian. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's a very Slavic. What is your middle name? It's not important. <laughs> That's a what? weird middle Please name. Please tell me what your middle <laughs> name is. No. It's not important. It's a weird middle name. That Russ, it's not important, Slivka. Uh, Blaine, you name all these episodes. What are we calling episodes 22 and 24? So these episodes are called the obstinate. Ooh, mm-hmm. that's a good adjective. It's a word for somebody that's very stubborn that doesn't want to change their ways. I like it. Okay, the obstinate. Yeah, uh, that's so good. what we read for this week was An Honest President, The Life and Presidencies of Grover Cleveland by H. Paul Jeffers. It was written in 2000, and it comes in at 353 pages. Ryan, what's our overall tally? 9,860 pages. We are so close. So close. Actually, we'll have a fun episode to reach the oh no wait what is it 9860 we might not hit 10,000 with the next episode because it was a short book oh that yeah it was one of those and it would have been a fun book to hit 10,000 yeah it would have been we had a fun time finding this book oh boy did we (laughs) so when we read through the presidential biography list right yeah uh Stephen what's his name Furtick no uh Stephen (laughs) Ambrose no, the guy that made the list, and I feel bad. Uh, Steven Stevens. That. Shout out to that guy. He had like four Cleveland books, and like two were really, really good, really highly rated, and then the other two weren't. And so I worked really hard to try to track down the two that were good. This was the second highest rated one. The problem is they're very rare books. Yeah. The number one rated one, I don't remember what it's called, but it was on Amazon, and like the cheapest I could find it was like $80. <laughs> I found this random website of like leadership books. Yeah. And it had an honest president for like 11 bucks. <laughs> and on Amazon, like the cheapest this was, was like 55. And so I was like, cool, let me get two. And then I never heard from them again. <laughs> like I ordered two books, like a week went by. I saw nothing. I got no like confirmation yeah. or anything. And finally I email the company and the owner of the company emails me back. And he's like, hey, we only have one. And it's on its way. So relax. And I didn't realize it was the owner of the company. So I just like first named him. And I was like, thanks, Hank. Appreciate the update. And then like look the guy up on, on LinkedIn. And he's like this world-renowned like uh, like business consultant. Whoopsies. And I'm just hanking him. Hey, man. Um, so I texted Ryan. And I was like, hey, I thought I ordered both of these. Like, I think you're going to have to bite the bullet. So how much did you pay for the book? Well, I couldn't find it because I emailed. Oh, that's right. I you tried borrowed to, mine. You were like, hey, go through go through the website. You sent me the link. And the yeah. guy hit me back. I was like, sorry, I sold it to some guy in Indiana. It's <laughs> like, dang it, Blaine. But I mean, like, it's definitely used. Like, it's very yellow. Like, whoever yeah. owned this was a smoker. Yeah. Um, I borrowed yours. And yeah, so you don't it, even have this it's book. It's the one book on my bookshelf 
that I don't have. That's a weird way of saying that. Meaning of the presidential biographies. <laughs> it's yeah. the book on my bookshelf that isn't there. <laughs> it's the one book of the series that we've read that yeah. I do not have on my bookshelf. We'll find... Okay, yeah. so if you're out there and you like supporting the podcast, find An Honest President, The Life and Presidencies of Grover Cleveland, and mail it to Ryan. Yeah. So his collection will be complete. I'm going to have like 16 copies of it. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen Floyd. Stephen, Stephen Floyd. See, I got the Stephen right. Yeah, yeah, yeah shout yeah. out to Stephen Floyd. He's mm. done way more work than we have such a nerd uh, we just have microphones which clearly he didn't have <laughs> and uh, of course every episode as you know we drink a uh, beverage in honor of the president that we're covering tonight we're sipping on some great lakes brewing company dortmunder gold lager uh, from cleveland ohio tonight no. I am from Holland. Isn't that weird? Yeah, so when I was trying to think of what to drink, I looked up Grover's favorite drink, and he was a beer guy. Yeah. So I was like, well, Cleveland's got to have breweries, right? Like, Oh, yeah. yeah. Found a few of them, and then found one place in Indianapolis that carries a Cleveland beer. Mm. And it was Total Wine and More in Nora, and they had a couple of different versions of Great Lakes Brewing. One was called Elliot Ness. Oh, that's cool. And I went with this one because it seemed like it was the most drinkable. Because yeah. there was like a oatmeal stout. Yeah, no one wants that. Yeah. Around the holidays, they have uh, the Christmas ale. If you can get Great your hands on that, it's really good. Oh, you, you're familiar. Well, yeah, my wife grew up outside of Cleveland. Oh. And when we go there for the holidays, it's always like, hey, do you get the Christmas sale? So, oh, yeah, Great Lakes okay. Brewing Company. Yeah. Well, shout out Great Lakes Brewing Company. We'll tag you on social media. And shout out to our mystery anonymous alcohol sponsor who's just out there being awesome. Fiero Driver. Yeah. We pilot. love it. Uh, also, if you are loving the podcast and want to get episodes early and ad-free, you can join our Patreon community for $5 a month at patreon.com slash presequential. For only 5 bucks more, you can get our exclusive bonus episodes on other influential Americans sent to you. Sign up today at patreon.com slash presequential. Gentlemen, what do you remember about Grover Cleveland from high school government class? Anything? Sesame Street. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, two. Cape. I knew he did two. He did. He ran it back. I, no, no. I'm going to go back to the Sesame Street thing. I think I get... Grover. When you yeah. said Grover... Yes. I think I thought The Gonzo. monster at the end of this book. Gonzo has the hooked Super nose, Grover. right? Yes. And Grover is just a general blue... <laughs> Why would you bring that up? With a red nose, I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's kind of like Elmo. Yeah. He looks very similar to Elmo. But he's blue. But he's blue and has and a red nose. And he has yeah. the book that we all read growing up, the yeah. monster at the end of this book. If we, if you keep reading, we're gonna get to the monster at the end of the book. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, I mm-hmm. love. He's also that book Super Grover. Grover. Super Grover. Yeah, yeah, he's got like a cape and, and uh, hel- silver ha- helmet. helmet. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's hmm. great. He's my favorite Sesame Street. What's character. his general demeanor on Sesame Street? Crazy. He's like Gonzo. Anxiety. Yeah. Okay. All right. I do love Cookie Monster he still to this day. Yeah. We did find out that he doesn't actually eat cookies either. <laughs> Just smashes them into his face. Yeah. Well, no, they're like wheat, something. rice cakes. Yeah, rice cakes. Oh, are they? Yeah. yeah. Wait, now he eats rice cakes? No, no, no. He always has because of the consistency for the puppet. <sighs> the puppet can't actually like smash the... cookies. Oh, yeah. Boy. <sighs> the room is getting really narrow, and <laughs> so I'm starting to spin. <laughs> I sent that to you earlier. <laughs> you this just week. destroyed my childhood. <laughs> I only remember, yeah, the the non consecutive two termer. Yeah. And his connection. I did know that his daughter inspired the baby ruth candy bar yeah spoiler jumping alert, the gun uh he does look exactly like bill murray's brother from caddyshack yeah and i'm looking his name up uh bill murray's brother brian doyle murray brian doyle yeah. murray this is grover cleveland looks exactly like yeah. brian doyle he really murray. does like we were trying to 
place that we were like, is it Wilford Brimley? And I think uh-huh. it was Russ that was like, no, it's that's Bill Murray's brother. Yeah. I don't believe so. I think that was Ryan. Thank you. Was Russ. it Ryan? Yeah. Okay. It was me. Sorry, I wasn't going to say it, but thank you, Russ. That's. I very... also saw him in an airport once. You saw me in an airport? No, 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 no. <laughs> Brian Doyle Murphy. <laughs> Murray. Oh. And I couldn't remember who it was. It was one of those things where oh, yeah. like, that guy I know was the president, who he is. Wasn't he? Yeah. There, there's got to be a list of those actors that's like, I know who you are and I've seen you and stuff. His, I just have no clue what you're doing. He's like is. the manager of all the caddies in Caddyshack. Yeah. Okay. Because like he's the one running the, the bets out of the Caddyshack. Okay. Yeah. So. I do want to find out what else he's. Oh, no. This picture is definitely different than what. Hold on just a sec. We oh, met. That's him. Are we sure? Yeah, that's him. He's just older in that picture. That's him. I, Brian. Okay. That's all right. Him. All right. Fine. Gosh. Stop embarrassing me in front so of all my friends. So he was the first Democratic president. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Here we go. All right, all right. Let's dive into his early <laughs> life. New Jersey. <laughs> Stephen Grover Cleveland. Mm-hmm. His middle name was Grover. Was born in Caldwell, New Jersey, in the northeastern part of the state. March eighteenth, eighteen thirty-seven. He was the fifth of nine children of Richard Thalley Cleveland, a nearly impoverished yet Yale-educated Presbyterian minister, and his mother Anne Neal Cleveland. He was named Stephen Grover in honor of the first pastor of the First Presbyterian Church of Caldwell, where his father was pastor at the time. And his grandfather Moses founded Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, I, I, not exactly the promised land yeah. for Moses, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he actually spent some time in the Cleveland area, which we're going to get to a little bit. No, well, well the Great not, Lakes area, the Great yeah, Lakes he did area. not yeah, make yeah, it to Cleveland. We'll to talk Cleveland. about yeah. that. So his, his dad moved around a lot. Yeah, he was like a traveling preacher, or I can't really tell if he was a traveling preacher or he just like, well, I got this church up and running. I'm going to go harvest another one. Yeah, harvest uh, um, plant. Same yeah, thing. I know what you mean. So they moved around a lot, and in the midst of moving, they had nine children. He yeah. was the fifth Whew. of nine. Like we've talked about before, you're really playing the numbers game back then. You really are. Like some of these are going to live. Uh, <laughs> one of them might might do something cool. Yeah, just holding uh, out. And in in his case, like they won the lottery. So. Yeah. Oh my gosh, meteoric rise, and we'll get to that. Oh in boy. Yeah. In 1841, the family moved to upstate New York, where Cleveland's dad served several congregations before his untimely death in 1853, which his young son learned about from a boy selling newspapers. How you like that? Wait. His okay. Grover learned about his dad's death from a boy selling newspapers. He's like extra, extra. Presbyterian preacher snuffs it. Read all about it. Your dad's dead. <laughs> yeah. My dad? What? No, not yours. Not, Not yours. Yeah. You. Just calm down, Steve. <laughs> well, uh, young Grover traveled to Buffalo, New York as a teenager following the death of his dad. He was looking for a place to study the practice of law while making enough money to support his mother and younger siblings. So he was on his way to Cleveland. That's he why thought, I thought. Grandpa yeah. started Cleveland. Maybe I can go, you know, out there and find work. Good night, Dirk. I don't know if um, he was a grandfather. I think he, I thought he was a more distant relative. Uh, than that. I've got. Was it? Regardless, see. up up Named the family tree. Oh, sorry, it was his first ancestor. Okay, in the United States. All right. Moses. Okay, so he's up in there. So the yeah. So tree. he thought I'll uh, go to Cleveland. Clearly, we've done well there. Yeah. And his uncle in Buffalo was like, "I think you should stay here." Yes. And it ended up being a fortuitous decision yes, that changed the course of his life. Indeed. Unable to afford a college education while he was working for his uncle, Lewis Allen, he worked as a teacher. Uh, he left there, and he worked as a teacher in a school for the blind in New York City. One of his students was Fanny Crosby, famous blind person. Yeah, and Fanny Crosby wrote a bunch of hymns, if I recall. Yeah, sure. I think first, Fanny Crosby. First, second, and fourth 
uh, verses. Yeah, just don't go on to the fifth. <laughs> Francis Jane Van Alstein, more commonly known as Fanny Crosby, was an American mission worker, lyricist, and composer. She was yep. a prolific hymnist. She wrote over 8,000 hymns and gospel songs. So one book. Just one book. <laughs> We're yep. going to turn to page 8,042. By Fanny. We're going to sing <laughs> uh, the first and fourth verses. By Fanny. <laughs> Man, she must have gotten some mad Aww. royalties. Yeah, 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 I'm sure. I'm sure her manager hooked her up. <laughs> for She's something terrifying to look at. Who? She's right up there with John Calhoun. She might be as terrifying oh. <laughs> of a human being. You know what? The good thing though is she's terrifying to look at, but a lot of her peers couldn't see how terrifying she looked. Oh. <laughs> and she couldn't see the look on their face see? when they first looked at her. <laughs> Was that a gasp? Like, no, I lost my breath. Sorry. <laughs> Around this time, Cleveland dropped the use of his first name, Stephen, in, quote, search for something more sonorous and distinctive. I guess Stephen Cleveland got him shoved into a lot of lockers as a kid back in the day. Yeah, shut um, up, Steve. Yeah, shut up. I'm Steve Cleveland. You know, actually, like, if he would have just okay. kept that, he would have been a weatherman. <laughs> like, we're going to go over to Steve Cleveland for yeah. the weather. 30% of the chance of us never winning anything. <laughs> yeah. Did I say 30? I meant 100% chance of us never winning anything. Yes, he was a, he was a store clerk. Go ahead, Blaine. Yeah. Uh, the first year he made 50 bucks and a hundred dollars for the second year with free room and board. So very successful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No place to go, but up Yeah, at that yeah, point. Really? Yeah. He did pass the That's... state bar exam in 1859 and started his own law firm in 1862, though he never went to college. Uh, how'd he get out of the civil war, Ryan? Well, with the American civil war raging, Blaine, <laughs> Congress passed the Conscription Act of 1863, requiring able-bodied men to serve in the army if called upon or else to hire a substitute. Cleveland chose the latter course, paying approximately $150 or close to three grand in today's money to a 32-year-old Polish immigrant named George Beninsky. How do you feel about that, Russ? To serve in his place. Right. Do we know what happened to George in the he Civil War? He survived the war. He did? Okay. He did, yeah. And $150 richer. Yeah. Yeah, good for him. Yeah. That's still, that's a wild, con- I mean, yeah. it's not a wild, con- I mean, that's kind of like. Why are you here? Want to serve my country? Mm. Why are you here? This fat Steve guy. Steve paid me 150 bucks. <laughs> I don't know, man. He said, here's 150 bucks, go yeah. shoot some guns. Yeah. I was, I was in. It's wild though, right? Like, I mean. In the grand scheme of things, I guess it's not that wild that if you're rich enough, you don't have yeah. to do hard things. Yeah. But it is kind of crazy. Like, could, uh, we didn't have that type of thing in World War One or World War Two, did no, we? No, I mean, it seems as though it might have, not necessarily commonplace isn't the word, but it might not have been so weird back then. The proletariat yeah. would pay for, yeah. like, you fight the war for me. Okay. Yeah. But he wasn't even super successful or rich at no. that point. I guess I don't know why he didn't want to fight, but okay, whatever. Probably because I mean, I can think to... of a couple reasons. <laughs> don't want to die. Yeah, <laughs> stay alive. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's one. Two, like you mean we want to fight people from here? Yeah, like right. I don't know how much does it cost to not do that? Yeah, I'll I'll take that rap. We'll just yeah, write you a check. You take Venmo? <laughs> no. Uh, so it's the early 1870s, and he becomes the sheriff of Buffalo, New York. The start of a very rapid ascent. Man, and, and during his time as sheriff, there were some crazy stories, so buckle up. Do you want to go dive in? Well, that's one of the things that I think is odd about him as a person. Okay. Is he, I mean, the book touts him as this very high character individual, mm-hmm. and there are certain things he does that I would agree with. And yep. then there are certain things that we find out about him, and you're like, Okay, so he he's clearly not like what are you? Yeah, Steve. Yeah, it's Grover. 
<laughs> because like when he was sheriff, he was uh, we're getting rid of corruption. Yeah, and and as we'll talk to here in a minute, he really fought the Tammany Hall corruption. Uh-huh. But he paid his way out of the Civil War. But the book's called An Honest President. Yeah, I think that it's trying to shine him in a specific light. We'll get to that the legacy. Well, in Buffalo, in around the early 1870s, a recent parolee named Patrick Morrissey had killed his mother, calling her, quote, a damned bitch, as he plunged a bread knife into her chest. So it wasn't even quick. No. John Gaffney, another guy, had slain a man with a revolver in a whiskey-fueled rage at a Buffalo saloon. Each was executed within six months of the other on a gallows constructed in the yard outside of Erie County Jail. In both cases, Sheriff Grover Cleveland Pulled the lever. And didn't he, like, he was concerned about the people showing up to watch these. Yeah. And so he created a contraption to hide the person actually dying so Mm -hmm. it wouldn't become a, like, public event. Like, hey, let's go watch the murder. What are you guys doing today? Yeah. Because, like, you know, there's no TV. Like, they were, these are the people that were like, the train's coming. Let's go check it out. (laughs) Put (laughs) down your hoop and stick. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah. that was one of the things he did was he put like some sort of veil yeah. over the execution so you couldn't watch them so they didn't become a public event. A modicum of decency. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it caught the attention of newspapers across New York State and as far away as Chicago and Boston. Grover was persuaded to run for mayor of Buffalo in 1881. Go ahead, Before Blaine. Before that, 1874. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, uh, oh, oh that's right. Yeah, yeah. Maria Haplin. Whew. Okay, so the way the book describes... I think it's important to talk about how the book describes it. So the way the book describes it is that Maria Haplin claimed that he was the father of her son. Yep. He did not dispute this fact. He said, yes, that is probably my son. He agreed to financial support. Mm -hmm. The book then casts her as mentally ill and... Well, she cast her as mentally ill. I'm saying she lost custody multiple times with him paying the orphanage fees. So never stepped up and was like, I'll take care of this. Yeah. This obviously is going to come back to haunt him when he's running for president. But when you dive deeper into these facts, the signs all kind of point to he more than likely it was some sort of a date rape situation. Yeah. And in order to clear his name, he got influential people to say she was mentally ill yeah. and put her in an institution to save his own face. Yes. So not great. No, like it's not, at all. not what, and I did think that that was a weird thing that the book glossed over that they just took it at face value at what he said was true. And it's not very hard to look up no. what actually probably happened. Yeah. And there was also some shadiness of that. He required her to name the child Oscar Folsom. Which was the name? It was. Hold on. No, I'm sorry. Name, name the son child was Oscar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was he grouchy? He was. He also <laughs> lived in a trash can. Well, clearly, oh, yeah. His mom. <laughs> There's a metaphor here for Sesame Street. Well, his law partner. I'm sorry. Cleveland admitted that. Yeah, I could be the father, but it could also have been my law partner, Oscar yeah. Folsom, whose daughter will come up later in oh. the story as well. Yeah. 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 So she will. There. There's just like this cauldron of weird stuff going on yeah. with Grover Cleveland's life uh, in the early And part. it's so weird. Like I said, like we're going to dive into all these very yeah. high character things the guy did. Yep. This was one, not one of them. And, and I think that's one of the things that we try to do well is like, let's look at the good and the bad. This was bad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because 
Like, this is a woman that was put into a mental facility that probably should not have been there Yep. in order for him to be able to save face later on down the line and be like, well, she was crazy. She well, was... Yeah, and the doctor who examined her at the mental institute was like, this this woman is not crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, she was able to get out, but still the fact Multiple that he times. was... Yeah, that yeah. he was like, put her in there. Yeah. I mean, it was called the... Uh, what was it called? The uh, Let me find this. Providence Lunatic Asylum was the name of the place that she was basically shoved into uh, without her consent. So, yeah. Maria Halpin. And what's crazy is later in 1888, the scandal will come back to Mm -hmm. bite him in the butt. It sure will. Yeah. All right. So he's persuaded to run for mayor of Buffalo in 1881 as a reformer of a corrupt city government. He won the election and took office in 1882. Largest mayoral victory in Buffalo to date. Yeah. And he was asked to run soon as the Democratic candidate for governor of New York, which he became in January of 1883. He was known as the veto mayor because he, once again, like wanted to fight corruption at this point, we're three years in. Mm-hmm. So sheriff for two years, yep. mayor for a year, governor. And we're, what, two years away from him being president? That's correct. Like, sheriff to president in five years. No college education, a mediocre law practice at best, hanging dudes. Yeah. Sex scandal. I uh-huh. mean, there's there's a lot in there. Just an insane meteoric rise. Yeah. Which I wonder what if his, what his, his dad would have thought of that rise. His gubernatorial victory was also a landslide. So uh-huh. not only mayor, but governor, landslide victories. Like, yep. it wasn't even close. And he was fighting party lines. Correct. And the power structure in New York of Tammany Hall. Like, he was running on anti-corruption in a place where corruption was the way you did things. Correct. Yeah, within two months of becoming governor, he vetoed eight bills set up by the legislature. He was popular with the voters, but he made enemies, like you said, within his own party. He did win the respect of New York State Assemblyman and future U.S. President Teddy Roosevelt and other reform-minded Republicans and became soon regarded as presidential material. So... Roosevelt was on the opposite side of the aisle from him. Mm -hmm. And they basically had a lot of mutual respect for each other. Yeah. They basically both saw, okay, we're doing the same concept of things, but we just don't see quite eye to eye. Correct. On, you know, the specificity of our bills, right? We're okay with working together and figuring out where the middle ground is here because we both want to get rid of the corruption. Yeah. So we have different views on, on the policies, yeah. but we're willing to work together because at the end of the day, we don't want corruption anymore. And we both have great mustaches. Sure. Yeah. Man, did they have some good they, ones. They tickle them. <laughs> they would touch mustaches. Like they were like another bill. Mustache tickle. I'm going to be on Mount Rushmore one day. <laughs> Everyone's going to forget about me. Yeah. They were like, what what he was, Grover was like, what's Mount Rushmore? And they were like, this rock over here. And he was like, but the beauty is unprecedented. Oh, boy. Oh, wow. That's good, actually. That's really nice. (laughs) I like that one. That was good. Uh, By this time in his career, Grover had amassed a savings account of $75,000. He had also amassed a sizable body girth. Let me tell you about it, Blaine and Russ. Cleveland was nicknamed Big Steve and was. And was our second heaviest president to date behind Taft, <laughs> weighing in at a sprightly 280. Big oh, Steve. man. He was an SEC football fan. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's Steve. all that's Big Steve. Man. Uh, and now on the line, Big Steve. Big Steve, you had something on Alabama's game from last week. <laughs> yeah, it's Big Steve. I just wanted to say, like, I didn't think what Saban did on third and 18 in the third quarter was good. 
Rotad. <laughs> In his early mid-30s, Cleveland was corpulent enough that some of his nieces and nephews called him Uncle Jumbo. Did he love to pound beers and smoke cigars like a chimney, which certainly contributed to his obesity, sleep apnea, and gout. And this was pre-CPAP? Pre-CPAP. Way pre-CPAP. How'd he sleep? Uh, I would imagine alone, because he was a bachelor. <laughs> Uh, or maybe not alone, depending upon how you look at his past. You sure. know what I'm saying? Oh. All right, so he's nominated as the Democratic candidate for president in 1884. Yeah, crack those brewskis open, guys. His opponent was Republican James Blaine, whom many people saw as a puppet of Wall Street and the powerful railroads. The mo- odd, odd that we throw a puppet in after Oscar and Grover, and now we have a puppet <laughs> yeah, that's uh, true. named Blaine. Named Blaine. The morally upright mugwumps, which were a Republican group of reform-minded businessmen and professionals, hated Blaine and embraced Cleveland's efforts at battling corruption. Blaine, how did you feel when I said hate Blaine in that sense? You feel okay? You want to talk about it? Kind of right at home. You want to talk about it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the Republicans used his paternity scandal a couple years earlier in their fight against him with the taunting chant of, Ma, Ma, where's my paw? That was Russ cracking open his beer, but Cleveland did not run from the charges, and his honesty blunted the scandal and was well-received by the voters. He didn't deny it, so the voters liked that. Uh, In spite of the scandal, Cleveland won the election with only 49% of the popular vote and 55% of the electoral vote. He won by just 1,200 votes in his adopted home state of New York and became the only Democratic president to win election during the period of Republican domination of the White House that stretched from Lincoln in 1860 to the end of William Howard Taft's turn term in 1913 somebody named william leader sent him a newfoundland dog oh those dogs are huge newfoundland yeah newfie Uh, Uh but you know upright citizen brigade sent it back did that uh yeah he he said i'm not comfortable with that i can't receive this gift did he just make the dog walk home to canada um i presume all newfoundlands do you think that this this is one of the things i have my notes i want to posit was there a president before cleveland that had traveled less I mean, he was he was born in New York, made it as far west as Buffalo. Yeah, he didn't travel much at all. And he didn't did he? do any stump speeches. He didn't travel nope. the like even Lincoln traveled yeah. Kentucky to Indiana. Sure. Like maybe it's the same amount of miles, but three states. Um, I see what you're saying. Did he? Do you think anybody traveled less than Cleveland? None come to my mind. Yeah, because go back. I mean, the ones Revolutionary War, they were all up and down yeah. the Eastern Seaboard. Yep. Uh, Civil War, most of them fought in the Civil War. Didn't so Monroe were, do like a goodwill circuit yeah, tour while like, he was president? Oh, while. But he was president. I think before he was president, he still got around more than not leaving his state. Like he never left his state. Yeah. Let's just say it. Let's just make the, the fact up yeah. right now. Right. Grover Cleveland was the least traveled president. Of all time. He took the road least traveled. Mm. He had no frequent flyer miles anywhere. Well, none. Okay. He was named With after zero. a Muppet, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's what... See? You learn something new every time you listen. And there were just two old guys. Every time he would run, they would be like, Oh, not this guy again. <laughs> Do you know those guys' names? Statler and Waldorf. I'm of course so... Russ knows that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so happy that you knew that. Are you a Sesame Street connoisseur? No. No? You That's just... the Muppets. Well, That's I mean, not same, Sesame same Street. family. I'm, I'm sorry. You're right. You're right, Blaine. Gosh. Let's talk about his presidency, shall we? Which one, you might be wondering? Well, his first one, a natural place to start. One of his first actions as president was to disregard the spoil system of cabinet appointments. Get rid of the chaff. Yeah, he really did. 
Cleveland continued the policy of his predecessor, Chester Arthur, a.k.a. The Walrus. We named him that. He was mm-hmm. not known that at his time. And Cleveland kept on staff the Republicans who were, do- who were doing their jobs well and um, appointed others based on their actual work ethic. So, so he looked at the 958 federal jobs around the country and eliminated 539 of them. Good gracious. Just cut them out. He well, was like the Alexander Hamilton of cutting federal drink. jobs. Like the Federalist Papers, he got rid of them. Do we have to drink those twice now? <laughs> yeah. Dang it. I'm just, I said that imagining Leslie Odom going, of the 958 <laughs> federal jobs around the country, he eliminated 539. Who were the three guys to write the Federalist Papers? Do you remember? You remember Alex. the third guy? No. John Jay. Okay, who was the second guy? James Madison. Okay. (laughs) After two years in office as a bachelor president, 49-year-old Grover Cleveland announced his marriage to a 21-year-old ward of his, Francis Folsom. mm, And it's not creepy at all. Here we go, here we go. Russ, you're going to love this. All right, so... France, yeah, he you may had not known her. Like she comes up multiple times in the book as okay. a child. Okay, hold on, back up the train a little bit. Frances Folsom is the daughter of Cleveland's former business partner. Okay, Oscar, right? Oscar, who was in the whole sex scandal thing, where he was like, "Well, it could have been mine. It could have been my buddy Oscar, who I do law with." And at the time, she was like five. So this is imagine like just one of your neighbor kids. Yep, no. and then. They turn 21 and you get married. Mm, That is... What happened? The book claims it was the first wedding at the White House, which we know from this podcast is not true. The first president to get married. the first president to get married in the White House. The first wedding was... It was probably the most awkward. Well, it had to have been, yeah. I mean, he's basically... First wedding was Madison's daughter, right? Monroe. Monroe's, Monroe's, yeah. Well, interchangeable. So... He has taken care of this ward of his, Francis, since his business partner, Oscar, died. Okay? He has been her ward. He's taken care of her, like, through school. I mean, she's still in college. At this point, she's an undergrad at Wells College in New York. All right? Yeah. He's Woody Allen. Dick, y'all. He is boy. the... <sighs> and actually, the next thing Ronan Farrow is doing is writing a book about this. Russ, that was a that was a that's true. That was a bombshell right there. Yeah, I know. That was a bombshell. I never um, thought of about that. That's I just now. really enjoyed watching your face. I just kind of assumed mm. you would have already known that. I had no idea. Also, I have to go back. Go Did ahead. you say that he had made sure that the child, the illegitimate child, mm-hmm. was named Oscar Folsom? Yes. yes. Okay. He made sure <laughs> he made sure that the that this bastard son uh-huh. was named the name of his former law partner, who okay. also had a kid, like a legitimate child, that then grew up and married him. Yeah. All on the other... And this is well, someone that we're calling an, an honest, honest president. president. At the end, <laughs> it does kind of seem on the up and up, because he married a Folsom and had a Folsom. Oh, like, man. It seems like a... He should know, have been singing Folsom, Folsom Prison, prison Blues. Yeah, yeah. I, that mm-hmm. Good night, this is weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that train coming. Yeah. She's, she's, she's only 21. <laughs> I'm going to marry her. And... In the White House and we'll have some fun. <laughs> I killed two guys in Buffalo. <laughs> I pulled the switch. 
But I put up a big screen and the people couldn't watch. That's not where I thought you were going to go with the rhyme scheme. You'll switch. Well, I threw her in the loony bin. That so, line. Okay. so can I just just wrap the bow on on Francis Folsom? Because I'd realize okay. how sketch that story is. They ended up having five children together. Yeah. Is, was she was spry? Yeah, I mean, she's 21. Yeah. She's the youngest first lady in U.S. history today. No. And the, and the most popular. She was really popular, actually. I the, don't doubt that. The press had a And then one of their day. kids was Baby Ruth, right? That is correct. Like, everybody thinks oh. Baby Ruth is Babe Ruth. Mm-hmm. The no. candy bar is named after his yes. daughter. Yes, who I think died when she was like 12. But yeah, uh, he, she she became just the really first. Really kill the vibe. When yeah, we're talking well, about young wives. Think about that next time. Yeah, yeah. Real positive vibe. He was just wearing smokers jackets around. He was like, "This is called the grotto." <laughs> <laughs> mm, this baby Ruth is tasty. You know, she died when she was twelve. Yeah, oh. nobody eats baby Ruth. No. What is what, what's even in a baby Ruth? I feel like there's peanuts in there. Yeah, I think there's nougat. 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 Is there some caramel? Car- yeah. Caramel. You How throw you it in a pool and it gets the pool yeah. open Chocolate, for business. Obviously. Yeah. Caddy, another Caddyshack reference. Oh, oh, that just hit me. What? Maybe somebody in Caddyshack was like, you look like Grover Cleveland. We're throwing some baby Ruth in here. You're right. hired. Yeah. You're hired. It was you. I mean, it definitely wasn't nepotism. It no, definitely wasn't because yeah. his brother was the funniest human being on the planet. Okay. Cool. All right, let's bring Russ in. Russ, tell us about Stephen Grover Cleveland's vice president in his first term, please, would in you? In his first term. Thank you. <clears throat> yeah, it was uh, Thomas Hendricks. From the great state of Indiana. The mm-hmm. gin guy. He was born in Ohio okay. and then quickly moved to Shelbyville, Indiana. That has to be Hendricks County, right? Oh, it's got to be. Well, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah, come on. Yeah. Yeah. All right. As of now, it is. Yeah, right. That sounds great. Yep. That's another fact you just learned on the presidential podcast. He was a lawyer. As we jump ahead, he was born. Then he was a lawyer. Okay. Well, he's buried at Crown Hill. Oh, okay. And his law firm became Baker and Daniels. Yeah, so ironically, the first case he had as a lawyer was defending a African-American boy against a, quote, white neighborhood tough who assaulted him and tried to get the boy thrown in jail for just talking to him in the first place. So first there was a fight, and then there was um, threatening to put him in jail because there was a conversation. Mm. But he successfully defended the boy, and then the... Tough, quote, was jailed because the argument that Thomas Hendricks had was that attacking one of inferior social position was a greater offense. So he was like, he oh. started off his Hell law yeah. career Thomas as... Hendricks? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it was ironic because... Don't you think? I do, because <laughs> after being elected to the Indiana House of Representatives, he led the effort to enact the Black Laws. Mm. What's so, that mean? It means I feel like you can't just throw out the Black Laws. I was going okay. to explain. Basically, upholding racial segregation, limiting immigration mm. of free blacks to Indiana. Okay, so uh, he took a real. That was really left the turn. only. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, man, the only positive. We thing started liking you, Tom. We yeah. did, and then yeah, he really. And you got your own county. Yeah, uh, we think. <laughs> yeah. Possibly. possibly. We posit. And then he was elected to Congress as a disciple of Stephen A. Douglas. And, oh. Uh, right. Was a strong supporter of like popular sovereignty and the extension of slavery into the West. Okay. Yeah. Do you so, know why he was paired with Grover Cleveland, Russ? I do. Okay. Because Indiana was a swing state at the time. Okay. Yeah. Like the, they needed, Indiana he used was a to war Democrat. Ohio. 
what we know of now as Ohio being a swing state, yes. Indiana was back then. Remember we talked about that because of the uh, yeah. Who was that? Governor Chester Morton? Arthur. Oh, Chester, Chester Arthur. Chester Arthur. He had that speech, that famous speech at the Italian restaurant. Yeah, where he was like, "We know we paid for it here." Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I mean that's true. I mean, so when he was elected, uh, he was a war Democrat, and at the time, it was ten Democrats in the Senate to thirty-three Republicans. Right. So there was a imbalance, of power. imbalance. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because of that, because he was one of the few and one of the more vocal Democrats, he actually had kind of a, a decent relationship with Abraham Lincoln. Okay. Because Lincoln wanted he wanted to hear all sides. Yeah. yeah. You know, he didn't want a bunch of yes men. So shortly before Lincoln's death, he would meet with him fairly often. One of the quotes that I have is Lincoln saying to him, we have differed in politics, Senator Hendricks. But you have uniformly treated my administration with fairness. And presently, there is no differences between us. Hmm. And then, overlooking the Potomac into Virginia, he said, within a few months, there will be such universal... There's going to be a statue here. Yeah, there'll be a statue <laughs> here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Within a few months, there will be such universal good feeling over there that will bring us all together. Hmm. And then he was shot and he died. Oh, yeah. gotcha. He also, uh, as I was doing a little research as you were sharing, he was the vice presidential candidate with New York Governor Samuel Tilden yeah. in the controversial election of 1876 against Rutherford B. Hayes. Any other fun facts about Thomas Hendricks, Russ? Yeah, he died. Okay. I mean, he died while in office. While in office, yeah. yeah. In yeah. Indianapolis. Yeah, he was home doing social engagements, and then he looked pale. He was at Zubilee and... Something like that, yeah. <laughs> Trying to raise some funds. Yeah. yeah, so I think he died eight months into... Oh, that's short. Yeah, it was really quick. Gosh, okay. But, but don't worry, Russ will be back. I will. Also, one more thing. <laughs> oh, okay. Because of that, the office of the vice presidency was left unoccupied, but the next down in the presidential secession is the president pro temp, Yep. And then the Speaker of the House. But at the time, both of those were also vacant. So they were... Oh, gosh. What? Yeah. That's crazy. That's... Wow. So we were like a breath away from a constitutional crisis. Correct. Wow. So therefore... It would have been Keith or Sutherland at that yep, point. Yep. I mean, according was, yeah. to the Constitution, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> She's in there. Yeah. Uh, therefore, the 1886 Congress passed a law removing congressional leaders from the line of secession and replaced him with the president's cabinet members behind the vice president. So okay. making it more likely that a new president would be the same party. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's interesting because huh. I think in a previous episode, I erroneously spoke and said that the only president pro temp of the Senate that has become the president was Gerald Ford. And that's not true because he was the minority leader. So what happened, and we'll talk about it obviously in a few episodes, but I do want to say like I did misspeak there. Yeah. Ford was not the president pro temp. He was the minority leader. And when... Agnew resigned, the Republicans were like, hey, we need to get our guy up here Mm. because the president's probably resigning and otherwise the Democrat's going to be president. Yeah. And so he was not. So there has never been a president pro temp of the Senate that has become the president. So you guys can stop sending us hate mail. We should say if you have no idea what the pro tem is, the president pro tem of the United States Senate is the second highest ranking official of the United States Senate. After the vice president. Right. So, yeah, it's called the pro tem. There you go. Let's get another Great Lakes Dortmunder gold Dortmunder. Dortmunder. We'll be back. You're listening to episodes 22 and 24, the obstinate of the Presequential Podcast. Blaine, you look different. Did you get a haircut? Oh, I did. Thanks for asking. Oh, it looks nice. People have been noticing more often since I've started going to Chop Chop Barbershop. Say that one more time. 
uh, people have noticed more often since I've been going to Chop Chop Barbershop. Chop Chop. Yeah. It's this super cool, very clean spot over by 16th and College area. Oh, yeah. 16th and Yandis, if you will. Okay, I will, here uh, in Indy. Yeah, super cool building, old school style barbershop. Anthony always fades me up well. He leads this diverse team of three other barbers. All three of my kids get their haircuts there. Even my wife gets her haircut Oh, they there. do ladies' cuts, yeah, too. from, you know, fades to braids and everything in between. I love that. And if I wanted more info, where could I go? I would check out, personally, chopchopbarbers.com. Okay, chopchopbarbers.com. From fades to braids to kitty cuts to the coolest barbershop there is. I don't want to look bad, so I'm going to go to Chop Chop Barbershop. Yeah. yeah. Doop, doop. Yeah. It's our taste. <laughs> Season two of the Presequential Podcast is brought to you by Greek's Pizzeria, greekspizzeria.com. It's our taste. We had a pepperoni banana pepper combo with them, and we had a pepperoni sausage combo with them. Yeah. Oh, it's so tasty. Their pizza is really good. It's very good. Check it out. All right, so when Grover Cleveland was president, he received a number of requests from Civil War veterans for pensions. He took the time to read through each request, vetoing any that he felt were fraudulent or lacking in merit. He also vetoed a bill that would allow disabled veterans to receive benefits no matter what caused their disability. He had Which, quite a controversial veto uh, attachment to him. So I understand where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. As somebody that is kind of in that space now, it, it is very easy to get benefits that you don't deserve. Mm. Now, so in his time, right after the Civil War, I understand where he was trying to stop people sure. from being able to get benefits they didn't deserve. Yeah. He also signed into law many policies that decimated indigenous communities and excluded minority groups. He lobbied for the Scott Act, which stated that any Chinese immigrant to the United States who left the country could not return to it. Didn't he, he also grant Confederate states their flags back really quickly backfired on him? I don't know for sure. He might have. It was something like he verbally agreed to like allow captured Confederate flags yeah. get returned to their homes. And people were like, no, no, no. You don't need to do that. Yeah. Like, that's a bad idea. I think the Southerners warmed up to him when he did that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He also viewed Native Americans as wards of the state and pushed for the Dawes Act, which encouraged total assimilation of Native American communities and ultimately weakened tribal governments. And by 1887... He had a $94 million surplus Two. for the the reserve. Because of the tariff, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was insane. Just, That's in, an insane number. Especially back then. $94 million? That's that what, uh, what is that Multiple today's? billions. Uh, producer Russ, would you look yeah, up? Please look up. Please look up. <laughs> so he also bought a private property in Washington, D.C., which was known as Red Top, I mm-hmm. believe. Yeah, so he was the first president to have a home outside of the White House um, because he felt like he just wanted a way to get away for him and his very young bride. Very young wife. Um, but also Statue of Liberty came into play. Yeah, right unpack this. this. Time. So the Statue of Liberty was gifted to us from France while he was president the first time. His speech to receive the Statue of Liberty, the unveiling was actually shorter than Reagan's speech at the 100-year anniversary of the Statue of Liberty. Oh, wow. Yeah. The inaugural was shorter than the centennial. Yeah. Huh, that's cool. Which, of course, like, what he's the great orator, right? Yeah. So 
I can't so, wait for the Reagan episode because you, since day one of this inception of the idea of this podcast, I have noticed that there is a fiery, passionate. I don't um, think it's that. It's just it's it's, it's kind of fiery. He's not my favorite. That's we'll that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. That's okay. And so, he doesn't have to be. Russ, ninety four million in eighteen eighty seven is worth two billion seven hundred one million two hundred ninety two thousand eight hundred forty two and eleven cents. Mm. That was their surplus. They could have bought. And what's our what's our deficit now? Ninety something trillion. Gosh, (laughs) it's exorbitant. I think it is like fourteen trillion. Yeah, it's crazy. Which a trillion is a million billions. It's funny money. I mean, it's billions. Yeah, it's funny money. Well, they could have bought one stealth bomber. Yeah, three point one three trillion is the current U.S. deficit. Well, the tariff issue came back to haunt him in the presidential election of 1888. The Republicans raised a ton of cash from the nation's manufacturers and spent it lavishly, helping to ensure victory for their candidate, former U.S. Senator Benjamin Harrison of our home state of Indiana. The election thus marked the beginning of a new era in campaign financing. Though Cleveland actually won a larger share of the popular vote, Harrison defeated Cleveland in the Electoral College. So, when he lost... The Republicans made a song that I want you to sing. Okay, it is go. right here. <clears throat> this is page 224 of An Honest President by H. Paul Jeffers. Yeah. And it goes like this. Down in the cornfield, hear the mournful sound. All the Democrats are weeping. Grover's in the cocoa ground. And that was, that was fantastic. That Thanks, was buddy. exactly right. what I was hoping for. <laughs> That was just that was just off the cuff. <laughs> it really was. I handed him a book and he wrote a song. It was pretty fun. Uh, hey, here's a fun fact about the 1888 convention. 35th President JFK's grandfather, Patrick Joseph Kennedy, gave a seconding speech at Cleveland's nominating convention. Second. I second it. <laughs> and I would like to read some other things. Reverend. <laughs> Reverend. <laughs> we do things not because they are easy. <laughs> We do not nominate him because they are easy. We nominate him because it is hard. Second. Second. Reverend. Reverend. <laughs> Someone's got to go back and get a get load of dimes. <laughs> Cleveland even lost his home state of New York in that election. He returned to New womp, York City, womp. took a position in a law firm for the next four years. He really thought he was done with government after his first term, but Frances may have had uh, other, other thoughts. She supposedly said to a servant upon leaving the White House, quote, now, Jerry, I want you to take good care of all the furniture and ornaments in the house, for I want to find everything as it is now when we come back again four years from today. She said, we'll be back. We'll be back. Uh, while he was running for his second term, uh-huh. uh, Lizzie Borden happened. <sighs> yeah, so that was a real thing. Uh, I never thought that was a real thing. I know she was an axe murderer. I don't yeah. know where. Was yeah, that Chicago? So someone married an axe murderer. Mm-hmm. No, I think it was in the Northeast. Was it more New I think England? It was, I think it was Massachusetts. Okay. Uh, but I just had this note that it Oof. actually happened. That wasn't like a old wives' tale. Yeah, like that yeah. was a thing that actually happened. Lizzie Borden murdered her parents with an axe. Yeah, there was right? some what sort was of the, like rhyme. It was about, a, like, limerick. Yeah, yeah. a limerick. Yeah. What was yeah. the limerick? There once like, was an old woman from. She wasn't old. It, there was a limerick. Russ has got with it. a hatchet and something and something. She would catch it. Yeah. And then she chopped their face in two and. So that was a real thing that happened. Yeah, and it Borden. happened while he was running for, and he had to address it while Yikes. he was running for Oof. president. Okay, Russ, Russ? Has it. Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother forty wax. And when she saw what she had done, she gave her father forty-one. Yeah, 
Now sing it. <laughs> no. <laughs> to CCR. Around this time. Ryan's really good at scatting. Russ yeah. is just a f- huge fan of scatting. Not animal manure, but <laughs> the jazz improvisational yeah. singing. Around this time, their daughter Ruth was born, who we mentioned earlier, inspired the candy bar. That's kind of fun. So if you've ever eaten a baby Ruth, you've eaten baby Grover Ruth. Cleveland's daughter. Baby Ruth. Baby Ruth. <laughs> oh, I was going Sandlot. You guys went Noonies. Yeah. You smell like fizz ed. Cleveland had refrained from making any public comments on Benjamin Harrison's policies for three years, but when the tariff issue became hot again one year before the 1892 election, he was invited to speak about it, and with that, he was back in the running for the presidency. In 1892, Cleveland wrote when considering to run, quote, Why should I have any desire or purpose to return to the presidency? I do not want the office. It involves a responsibility beyond human strength to a man who brings conscience to the discharge of his duties. So as he was running, he had surgery to remove Oof. a cancerous tumor from his mouth Yo. on a yacht yeah. secretly. All right. So um, it was... Like, very secret. He had a prosthetic because half of his jaw was removed, and nobody knew the real truth for 30 years. Do you know why he kept it a secret? Well, I mean, he was running for president. He was running for president, but also in... No, actually, this happened during his second term. Oh, okay. So there was this thing called the Panic of 1893. Horrible financial crisis to that point in the country's history. It was their version of, like, the Great Depression up to Mm -hmm. that point, okay? So... It was basically had to do with like the railroads going bankrupt and ton of people were out of out of jobs. There was a stock market crash. Basically, three of the major railroads just failed. Yeah. Which back then, I mean, that's a huge that's a part of the deal. infrastructure of the, of, of the... Well, because he... Because we're going to talk about the railroad strike, yep. right? The Pullman strike. Yep. So there's a 19% on inflation. There's riots. Basically, he was keeping it a secret because the last thing that he wanted the general populace to know is, oh, crap, now our commander in chief is sick and and potentially very, very ill. So June of 1893, he notices a lesion on the roof of his mouth that you had mentioned. On July 1st, he was this is crazy. So he's got a buddy who has a yacht. okay, and he's got his surgeon, Dr. Joseph Bryant. They leave New York and they go on a buddy's yacht called the Oneida and it sails off of Long Island. Silverware. Hey, that's right. What's the connection to the Oneida? Was that a bonus episode? Charles Guiteau. That's right. Yeah. Who assassinated the, James Garfield yeah. in the conservatory with, <laughs> with the, the rope. gun. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So they tie him to the mast of the ship. What? So, yes. He's in a chair that is tied to the mast of the Oneida, and they knock him out with anesthetic, and they go through his mouth to avoid any scars or signs of surgery. And they remove, like you said, Blaine, part of his upper left jaw and hard palate, which left his mouth disfigured, okay? So about two weeks later, he does another operation, which was pretty, it wasn't as risky as the first. And he gets a prosthesis to make him look kind of like he used to look. And there was a newspaperman who was just like, this is really weird. Like, you're saying you're just going on a two-week vacation at sea, but literally no one one in his cabinet, let alone the public and press, knew about this. Presumably, the vice president was kept in the dark, too. He was just like, we have to keep this under wraps. So, like you said, Blaine, one of the doctors who was part of the procedure in 1917 finally confessed or or went public saying... Way later. Yeah, after his death, he's just like, yeah, this happened. So, I mean, 
good night did he keep it a secret. He was not the only president to conceal a major medical crisis from the public. Woodrow Wilson was one with his stroke that we're going to obviously cover. Warren Harding, uh, Wilson's successor, wasn't exactly the picture of health either. They kept a lot of that in the dark. And also JFK concealed the fact that he suffered from... A debilitating condition Multiple called things. Addison's yeah. disease and a need to have sex like every 17 minutes, <laughs> basically. Also, Ronald Reagan, his staff covered up the fact that the president showed signs of dementia while in the White House. So, Jeb Bartlett. Go Ooh. ahead. He had MS. Yeah, he did. You're yeah. right. He wasn't a president. Why did you bring him up? Well, his wife he was the president. doctor who knew about the MS. Yeah. 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 I watched uh, West Wing while I was in COVID quarantine in isolation <laughs> circa November of 2020. It's great. Okay. It was rough. But I got through like three seasons of it. Okay. I love Toby. Who do you like, Russ? You know what? I like Toby. I like CJ, too. C- yeah, I like them all. She's got some moxie. First four seasons. Then I'm out. <laughs> Well, it's the fall of 1896 now, and you've never seen him? I've never seen him. You might like it. You might enjoy it. Uh, It's the fall of 1896. Cleveland had become unpopular with his own party. Other Democrats, however, wanted him to run for a third term, as at that time, there was no term limit for presidents. Cleveland declined, and former U.S. Representative William Jennings Bryan of Nebraska won the nomination. Bryan, who later became famous as an opponent of British naturalist Charles Darwin's theory of evolution, lost the 1896 election to Governor William McKinley of Ohio. So let's let's back up a little bit. So for one, he like personally oversaw the Pullman strike, right? Yeah. With Eugene Debs, Terre Haute, Indiana. Was he a communist? Uh, was Debs like a Debs like, actual, was like, like a socialist? The, yeah, he was yeah, a yeah. socialist. Uh-huh. So he ran as a socialist multiple times as president, one time from jail. Yeah. And the Pullman dude Pullman that whole strike is fascinating. Yeah. So basically Pullman, he moved Chicago. Like that's how he got started was he moved literally buildings without people in the buildings like having to change anything. Yeah. Like he was able to lift them up and move the buildings. There's like a crazy time lapse of video yeah. of back in the day where they, they rotate a uh, so 10 he story made, building like 90 degrees. So he made these rail cars that you couldn't feel the movement of the train as mm-hmm. you were in them. Like he put these like whatever hydraulics or whatever in them. And it subdued the vibrations. The, the workers struck. But that was a huge deal, right? Well, because like striked. the male, they struck, they stricken. striked. I think it's stricken. They stricken. Mm. Yeah, so they were stricken. Stroke. And they, it was it was a huge deal because it stopped the mail service. So at that point, it became mm. a federal issue. So the president actually stepped in for the workers. Yeah. And that was one of the things that we talk about. You know, he has these kind of back and forths on character. He came in for the workers and was like, hey, we can't you know have this but like we have to have better conditions for the workers because they were you know we can't work 18 hour days and whatever so he was very involved in in the railroad strike but i would love to hear about his second vice president oh man so would i russ tell us about the second vice president wake up adlai stevenson now that name is familiar it should be Adelaide Stevenson. Oh, yes. How yeah. do I know that name, Russ? Um, he was the grandfather of Adelaide Stevenson II, who was the anti-McCarthyism later on down oh, the line. good for him. Could someone yeah. help me understand what the difference is between a the second and a junior? No. No. Okay. All right. No. Thank you. Thank you. So Adelaide Stevenson the first. Are you the... F- Doesn't matter. <laughs> See, I think you become a first when you have a son. That's or when you, you have become- a second. Yeah. Because his son wasn't Adelaide Stevenson II. It was his grandson who was Adelaide Stevenson II. Here we go. 
This is according okay. to AncestralFindings.com. The common usage is to use Junior when the child is being named directly after his father, and to use the second when the child is to have the name of an earlier male relative, such as a grandfather, uncle, etc. Adelaide Stevenson the first. Thank you. Yeah. Born in Bluewater, Kentucky, and then he became... Uh, he moved to Bloomington, Indiana, or Bloomington, Illinois. Oh, the yeah. lesser Bloomington. The lesser. The lesser Bloomington, yeah. as we all know it. Mm. Of course, he was a lawyer there. Oh, sounds about yeah. right. His contemporaries were Stephen Douglas, Abraham Lincoln. He sided more on the Stephen Douglas side of that. Okay. All right. yeah. okay. He ran for, and ran and won quite a few offices, and he kind of ran as the common man. They actually called him Uncle Adelaide because he was very good at telling stories and kind hmm. of bringing the crowd in. The common story he told when he was running for office was about a convicted murderer sentenced to hang while a local politician appeared on the same gallows platform. The murderer... was like, I've done that before. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very familiar. You need someone got to pull the, pull the lever? No? No? All right. The murderer, when asked what his last wish was, demanded he be hanged before the politician was allowed to speak. Ah. Oh. Yeah. Those are fun last words. Or that is last, fun last dish words. words. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if it was true. So Adelaide Stevenson was Grover Cleveland's assistant postmaster general during his first term and he became infamous because his, he can i just say adelaide stevenson sounds like a super racist whoa his yeah, name not... sounds like he was a alabama governor in the 60s adlai though does not sound right it does not sound uh southern to of me. course it adlai doesn't sound doesn't, racist yeah, it, it like doesn't a... sound racist to me like says Ad, every racist sounds ever like a, a girl <laughs> in a storybook adlai though what what, yeah. what what's the derivation of that i want to look i don't at know that. that's Ad, yeah. okay keep going russ assistant before... postmaster general yeah when he came in uh his job was to basically <laughs> go ahead the Jay name Adelai is a boy's name of Hebrew origin, meaning God is just. Oh, God right. is just what? God is just. Meaning just what? He's, he's super cool. He's just awesome. Was Adelaide Stevenson the one that named Jay Sterling Morton head of Department of Ag- Agriculture? I don't know. Because he was the father of Arbor Day. Oh, really? Yeah. Everybody loves Arbor Day. Arbor Day is different how from Earth Day. Words. Is Arbor Day a tree day? Yeah. Russ, back to you. Adelaide Stevenson came in as the assistant postmaster and fired 40,000 Republican postal employees Holy and replaced cats. them with Democrats. Is that 40,000? It's a lot. Okay. Yeah. It's like the population of Connecticut back then. Sure. I mean, like, yeah. you're firing an entire state. You fired state. the population of Connecticut. You guys are all out. Yeah. Okay. So Gosh. he was he was infamous for that. Uh, they called him Adelaide the Axeman. Oh. New York Times or Post. Lizzie Borden took <laughs> took yeah. offense to that. She did. She, maybe like, that's where she got the idea. He had forty thousand. He took forty more. I'll yeah. show you. Ooh, yeah, uh, a man who uses guillotine freely and is decapitating thousands, according yeah. to the New York, I don't know, Post Times, New York newspaper. Yeah, yeah. The Post, Post Times. The Post Times. <laughs> The post times. That's great. It's like the end times. As you were saying before, they did keep the surgery secret secret from mm-hmm. the public. And one of the reasons is because Adelaide was pro-silver. So kind of soft money. And because of the panic, people would have been concerned and it would have caused increased panic 
if they knew that Adelaide, the vice president, oh, yeah. was next up. So he kept him in the dark. He kept yeah. the cabinet and, in and the dark. And Cleveland, we should say, was all about the gold standard. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was one of the big reasons he did keep it in the dark is because Adelaide was pro-silver in the next up. And we should say that while Benjamin Harrison in between Cleveland's terms, he passed the Sherman Silver Purchase Act. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So Harrison was a big silver guy. Cleveland was concerned that gold reserves had dwindled, and he basically pushed that basically towards repealing that act. Okay, sorry, Russ, go ahead. No, I mean, that's... uh, You did talk about William Jennings Bryan. William Jennings Bryan, vice president. Big silver man. Yeah, big silver man. Yeah. And whose vice president was also... Adelaide Stevenson. Ah. Yeah. He was one of the fourth vice president or former vice president to run for a vice presidential post under two different presidential candidates. There's after, kind of a trivia question. Yeah. After P-Funk, George <laughs> Clinton. George Clinton, mm-hmm. who was under... Multiple people. Yeah. Yeah. John C. Calhoun. Warning. And Thomas A. Hendricks. We just talked about him. Tommy. Tommy. Tommy Hendricks. Tommy. (laughs) Tommy. Russ, uh, thank you for giving us the scoop, the skinny, the DLL, the 411 on the gentleman you just talked about, Adelaide Stevenson, (laughs) the first. All right. Well, after Cleveland's second term, he retires from active political life. He becomes a member of the Board of Trustees of Princeton University and continued to campaign for various Democrats. He also wrote for the Saturday Evening Post. The death of Cleveland's oldest daughter, Ruth, whom we've talked about. in Diphtheria. 19- she died of diphtheria yep. in 1904. Diphtheria, I believe, is like a bacterial. Hypothermia? Eh, it's different. Diphtheria, okay. I think, is like cholera. It's like a bacterial thing. It visibly aged Grover. Some of his friends said that he... Started looking like Brian Doyle Murray. <laughs> exactly. Some of his friends said that he never fully recovered, which is understandable. In a 1905 article in the Ladies' Home Journal, which he also wrote for, Cleveland weighed in on the women's suffrage movement, writing that, quote, sensible and responsible women do not want to vote. The relative positions... What? Yeah, let me finish this quote, and then we'll react. The relative positions to be assumed by men and women in the working out of our civilization were assigned long ago by a higher intelligence, end quote. It's like, you sure you're going to die on that hill there, Grover? He was like, in women's suffrage. (laughs) Suffrage for too long. Votes for women. Yeah. Cleveland's health had been declining for several years, and in the fall of 1907, he fell seriously ill. In 1908, he suffered a heart attack and died on June 24th at age 71 in his Princeton residence. His last words were, I have tried so hard to do right. Have you? Yeah, it's like, "Mm." (laughs) is that the doctor responding (laughs) as he just goes, have you? Time of death. Uh, 307. Have you, though? (laughs) What are we going to do with this guy's mustache? (laughs) Should we shave it off? (laughs) Should we just keep it? No, okay. Teddy Roosevelt's eulogy compared him to a happy warrior, one who had served on honorable terms and who understood that the presidency was a public trust bestowed upon him by the people. He is buried in the Princeton Cemetery of the Nassau Presbyterian Church, referred to as the Westminster Abbey of the United Mm. States. by A lot of of dogs. A lot of what? A lot of dogs. West- <laughs> this is the Hound Group? Yeah. <laughs> Some of his neighbors in the cemetery include his beloved daughter, Ruth, Albert Einstein's daughter, 
and Blaine, your favorite human, Aaron Burr. Oh, I hate Aaron Burr. I know you do. We all do. The listeners do as well. They should. Yeah. Nothing is mentioned on Grover Cleveland's tombstone about his being president once or twice. Let's take a break and then talk about his legacy. Sounds good. You're it's listening. our taste. You're, you're listening to episode 22 and 24, The Obstinate. Hey guys, it's Ryan. If you are in the market to refinance your mortgage and want an expert to walk you through that process, you need to schedule a call today with Austin Bowman at Caliber Home Loans. Austin's been a friend of mine for years and is one of Caliber's top performing loan consultants with over 14 years of experience and expertise. Austin's number one priority is honesty. He's going to listen to your unique needs and guide you through Caliber's superior processing, underwriting, and closing process. For a smooth, hassle-free process from application to closing on your new mortgage, email Austin Bowman today at austin.bowman, that's B-O-W-M-A-N, at caliberhomeloans.com. You can also find Austin's email in our show notes. Whatever you do, don't ask Austin about the time when he took me out for my first time golfing when we were 16 and we almost hit a goose with our cart. Guys, email austin.bowman at caliberhomeloans.com today. Hey guys, it's Ryan. If you need custom-made t-shirts for your team or organization, look no further than our good friends here in Indy, The Art Press. The Art Press is a local, eco-friendly small business that's been around for years here in Indy, designing and printing all the super comfortable shirts you may have seen through their parent company's store, Vardigan. We've worked with them on our awesome new shirts that feature Thomas Jefferson riding a fire-breathing mastodon, and our experience couldn't have gone better. If you need help creating a design or you have your artwork ready to print, Derek and the team at The Art Press can help you get your orders set up online quickly and easily. Plus, they ship everywhere and offer excellent customer service. Get a quote on your order of shirts today at theartpress.com. That's theartpress.com. And we're back. Let's talk about Grover Cleveland's legacy. He gets mixed grades as a president from historians. He gets credit for restoring the power of the presidency in the 1880s, but his misunderstandings about political systems and an economic depression in 1893 saw his Democrat Party lose power quickly and his political career end. He was a hardworking and independent president, but he is criticized for being pretty unimaginative and having no overarching vision for American society. Most presidential historians tend to see his presidency as leading to the emergence of the modern presidency that began with T.R., Teddy Roosevelt. According to C-SPAN's Presidential Historian Survey, Cleveland currently sits at number 25, below Calvin Coolidge and above Jimmy Carter. So right above his actual numbers, 22 and 24, he's 25. Yeah. yeah. And we should say this kind of reaches about the midpoint of yeah. the current American presidency. Whoa, we're halfway there. Whoa, Grover Cleveland. We were actually harmonizing. <laughs> Russ, I'm a little disappointed you didn't hop on that baritone line. No, you're not. <laughs> Blaine, Russ, finish this sentence. Grover Cleveland is the reason the United States... Dot, dot, dot. Oh, that's... It's again. the reason we have Oscar Folsom II, right? Oh, that's oh, true. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, uh, I wonder what his story arc would went to be on. That's the reason we have Caddyshack, honestly. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, if it mm. weren't for him, there would be no Baby Ruth, and there would be no famous poop in the pool, mm. and yeah. there would be actually nobody to run the caddies, Gosh. because he was the guy. 
it's hard for me to like actually dig in. I think honestly, my knee jerk reaction after having four of these delicious Dortmunder Gold Lager from Great Lakes Brewing Company is that we have a president who served twice non consecutively. I mean, yeah, I, mean, I, mean I, I just don't know about his long lasting legacy. And I gotta, I gotta ask you guys, the fact that his personal life was kind of shady before yeah. he became president in the midst of such weird, like high character decisions. Yeah. Do you think that Grover Cleveland, if he were here now, would have been like, ah, my plan worked to kind of be forgettable? I don't think that's what he wanted. I don't think that he wanted to be forgettable. I think he wanted to be somebody of high character. Hmm. And I think that he shoved his un high character pieces under the rug and he thought people wouldn't know about him. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't he he didn't foresee that we would be able to uncover the uncouth pieces of his best. Right, yeah. He did try to cover it up a lot. Like I think that when he died, he probably thought I'm probably of the highest character yeah. of president. I'm I'm well, there with Washington. I mean, there's his well. I mean, he probably president. thought that. He probably yeah. thought that. Yeah. I mean, I his mean, last his words last were what? I've tried so hard to do what is right. Yeah. Like, he probably legitimately thought that he was one of the most high character presidents. And had it not been for a couple of things, which are very big things, don't, don't sure, misunderstand sure, sure. Yeah, what I'm we're saying. We're not. We're not. Had it not been for the child and his child wife, <sighs> we probably have a different. Compo- this is a different episode without those yeah. two things. Yeah. It's a different episode. I, I don't. I definitely don't have any rev- reservations about him without those two things. Sure, I have zero reservations about him. Yeah, but those two things are big enough that I'm like, eh. eh. Yeah, they bristle you a little bit. Yeah, a yeah. lot. Well, yeah. Oh no, I shouldn't say a little bit. I'm not trying to minimize it either. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Let's dive into our favorite part of every episode, and we've heard from a lot of you your favorite as well. Mm-hmm. Little known facts. Here we go. Blaine, you said you had a good one. 1934, Grover Cleveland was put on the $1,000 bill. That's a lot of cash. Grover That's Cleveland. a lot of cash. Grover Cleveland, $1,000 bill. Yeah, 1934. I don't know if he's still on the $1,000 bill. I don't even know if there is a $1,000 bill, but he was put on the $1,000 bill. I wonder why. In 1934. I don't know. Maybe it was backed by silver. I don't know. 1934. What was going? Was that? I, I, maybe uh, it, was it was like a right milestone. after the Great Depression. It was in between two mm. world wars. Yeah. Um, I wonder if it was a milestone. It was probably a Adlai Stevenson, uh, yeah. like person. Someone is yelling was, in their car right now. They yeah. know the answer. Yeah. Hey, idiot! <laughs> That's a cool fun fact. Russ knows. Russ, what you got? Yeah. According to the Bureau of Engraving and Printing, the U.S. federal government stopped. Mm printing $1,000 bills altogether after 1945. For the most part, it wasn't cost-effective to print new series since each required engraving new plates for small print runs. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So not a lot of people were using them. I bet that's a that's a hefty collector's price. If you, oh, probably, If yeah. you've got a 34 Cleveland... What's a $1,000 Cleveland bill go for now? You guys look that up. I'm going to run through... The earlier little-known facts okay. that I have. Cleveland's father's maternal grandfather. So let me think about this. His great-grandfather on his dad's side, Richard Fally Jr., fought at the Battle of Bunker Hill, which is kind of huh. cool. As a youth, Grover Cleveland cut 
his leg fleeing from a bell tower one night. He and another local boy had snuck in during darkness to ring the bell and awaken the tire town. Ha ha ha, they'll never catch us, they said. Well, he was sliding down a drain pipe and cut his leg on a projecting piece of metal. Oh. Ouch. And that was the first tetanus shot. Nope, I just made that up. (laughs) Cleveland vetoed twice as many congressional bills as all 21 presidents who preceded him combined. 414 vetoes in his first term. That's a lot of vetoes. Do you know what veto means in the ancient Greek? No. Neither do I. Uh, So the $1,000 bill now goes for about five grand in mint condition. There's only about 165,000 of them in use. Okay. so It's it's, actually a little bit less than what I would expect. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. me too, yeah. Uh, Veto means I forbid in Latin, used by Roman tribunes of the people when opposing measures by the Senate. There we go. Okay, let's dive back into Grover Cleveland's little-known facts. Grover Cleveland has an Indiana connection. He has plenty. I I know, but he has another that we haven't mentioned. Okay. Specifically, an IU connection. Go Hoosiers. So this is more for me and anyone who's graduated or loves Indiana University. General Walter Gresham of Indiana served as Cleveland's Secretary of State from 1893 until his death two years later in 1895. He received an honorary doctorate from IU in 1883, and a residence hall dining facility in Bloomington is named in his memory the Gresham Food Court, which I have eaten at several to many times my freshman year, circa 1999. Several to many. Yep, there you go. Fun. Cleveland bemoaned the fancy White House cooking. He wrote one evening in disgust. I'm going to do my best Grover Cleveland, okay? Okay. So this is a a fat man who has a lot of health issues. Do it as Brian Doyle Murray. I must go to dinner. That's not what he sounds like. That's Bill Murray. (laughs) I I must go to dinner, and I wish it was to eat a pickled herring, Swiss cheese, and a chop instead of the French stuff I shall find there. <laughs> there you go. One big change in the election process came in 1892 with most states outside the South adopting the secret ballot. In this system, the government printed and distributed ballots that listed all candidates. Voters were then able to select secretly from among this slate in a private voting booth. So if you have ever voted... And you got a little uh, partition yeah. there for privacy. Thank Grover Cleveland. You thank Grover Cleveland okay. for that. Yep. Grover Cleveland, this is less a little known fact and just more a general quote here. A cause worth fighting for is worth fighting for to the end. Fair. And the second, a truly American sentiment recognizes the dignity of labor and the fact that honor lies in honest toil. Work hard, kid. Go, yeah. go places. Yeah. yeah, that's clearly all it there takes. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Grover Cleveland Middle School in his birthplace, Caldwell, New Jersey, was named for him, as is Grover Cleveland High School in Buffalo, New York, and the town of Cleveland, Mississippi. Also, Mount Cleveland, a volcano in the Aleutian Island chain of Alaska, is also named after him. Okay. He's got a volcano named after him. In Alaska. In Alaska. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good for him. Yeah. Way to go, guy. Apparently, they were named after famous politicians of the time. It's a little bit better than Highway. Yeah, you can. What do yeah. you have? I got, I got a volcano. Yeah. Like, <laughs> That's cool. You, oh, you got a highway? Good for you, Dwight. Good. <laughs> Hold on, I'm rumbling. I'm full of blah, lava. In 1895, he became the first U.S. president who was filmed. Oh. it's kind of cool. Yeah, that is. That's, That's really cool. cool. 
No new states were admitted to the Union during Cleveland's first term, but during his second term, he signed the Enabling Act that permitted Utah to apply for <laughs> statehood. Utah Real enabler. <laughs> Utah joined the Union as the 45th state on January 4th, 1896. I thought that was going to get you, Russ, calling him an enabler. You didn't even... Yeah. I didn't, because I was looking up volcanoes in Alaska, <laughs> which, which there are 80 of. Whoa, what? whoa, yeah. whoa. Are they, are they mostly in the Aleutian Islands? They are is that mostly why, in the Aleutian Islands. Is that why Islands. we pay them to live there? Yeah, like, yeah Good luck, guys. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what is that, the Farmstead Act or something like that? Yeah. I mean, you can, yeah, you can whatever. Yeah. Lot. You live but, there, you make money. So they're, they're mostly in the Aleutian chain? I guess that's a volcanic group of islands. Yeah, apparently. Tectonic plates. Is that the one that comes down? It almost goes like to the... like Russia. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I could see Russia from my <laughs> house. <laughs> what a good line. <laughs> good Saturday Night Live reference, Blaine. <laughs> oh, there it is. Mm-hmm. After Cleveland died in 1908, Francis, his wife, would be the first president's wife to remarry. Well, yeah, she was only like 25. She's still in her prime. Yeah. <laughs> She's... Oof, I can't remember the last time I didn't have 280 pounds on top of me. Oh, boy. <laughs> Just a sweating, hulky mess. I think I might go for somebody more my age now. We're coming in hot at the end here. Yeah. <clears throat> Thanks for listening to the Presequential <laughs> Podcast, brought to you by Greek's Pizzeria. Greek's uh, Pizzeria. It's our taste. It's our taste. If you loved this episode, please subscribe, follow us wherever you get your podcast, leave a review, and connect with us on all the socials at Presequential. Our next episode, oh man, this is going to be um, super exciting, amazing. On twenty third, President Benjamin Harrison will be released on Wednesday, November twenty fourth, twenty twenty one. You do not want to miss it. If you love the podcast, you want to get episodes early ad-free, you want to get bonus episodes, become a patron at Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Presequential. You can also check the show notes for that link. We hope you enjoyed episode 22 and 24, The Obstinate of the Presequential Podcast.